Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Heritage Foundation's webinar today on China and Hong Kong. My name is Mike Gonzalez, and I'm the Angeles T. Arredondo Senior Fellow here at Heritage. Perhaps there's no more important question in geopolitics today than whether we can trust the government of the People's Republic of China. This is something that has come to the fore more than ever now with the COVID-19 pandemic. China's communist rulers at first hid the truth about the virus, then convinced the WHO to be complicit in this cover-up, and when none of that worked, it tried a vile disinformation campaign that blamed the U.S. military for originating the virus. But questions about China predate COVID-19. China's mistreatment of Hong Kong since Britain handed over the territory to the PRC in 1997 goes directly to this question of whether China can be trusted. Beijing promised the city a high degree of autonomy and that it would let Hong Kongers govern themselves in most matters under a model that was known as one country, two systems. But reneging on this promise made in an international treaty, Beijing would be showing that it could not be trusted. Now, we originally scheduled this webinar when elected legislators in Hong Kong's Legislative Council were removed by force by and a pro-Beijing candidate was elected to, to, to be the chairman of a, chain, of, a, of a committee by the people who remained in the room. Since then, however, things have gotten much worse. Next week, the Chinese government is set to introduce a draft resolution that would allow the National People's Congress of China to vote for a national security law in Hong Kong that will prescribe activity that, is, that the Communist Party deems to be secessionist, subversive, or showing foreign interference. The legislation would, in effect, end the one country, two systems uh, system. We at Heritage have written papers in the past giving the U.S. government recommendations of, on what to do in case the PRC launched an armed intervention against Hong Kong. Now, the present law represents an unarmed intervention, but unfortunately, it's equally debilitating. The U.S. government must act accordingly. We're very fortunate today to have with us two eminent speakers that will go through these important matters. First to speak will be Martin Lee, the tireless father of the Hong Kong democracy movement. The Hong Kong government will put him on trial sometime this year on charges that are clearly trumped up. And so we could have this venerable and courageous leader in prison sometime this year. After Martin, we'll speak Dennis Kwok, a member of the LegCo and another brave defender of freedom in the territory. Mr. Kwok co-founded the Civics Party, another pro-democracy party in the city. After they speak, we will have a question and answer period moderated by me. I ask you to submit your questions in the question box located in the toolbar on the right. Now I invite my two panelists to, join, to turn their cameras on and join us, and I give the floor to Martin Lee. Thank you.
Hi everybody. In the 1980s, Britain and China negotiated over the future of Hong Kong. And the original idea from Britain was that China should make a new lease over Hong Kong, Kowloon and the new territories, so that Britain will continue to rule Hong Kong for 50 years under a new lease. And at the end of that, China will then rule over Hong Kong. Deng Xiaoping, the then paramount leader of China, said no. But he counter-offered that during the first 10 years from 1997, neither Britain nor Beijing would rule over Hong Kong, but the Hong Kong people ourselves shall rule over Hong Kong with a high degree of autonomy. Namely, apart from defense and foreign affairs, which are reserved to the central government, we, the Hong Kong people, will be masters of our own house, over our executive, legislative, and judicial. Now, this is a very important promise. So during the first 50 years, we are masters of our own house. But unfortunately, after some 20 years, Beijing is having second thoughts. So in June 2014, this is about six years ago, the central government published a white paper in seven languages saying that the central government, that is the Chinese Communist Party, has complete administrative power over Hong Kong. So how does that sit with Deng Xiaoping's one country, two system? Under Deng Xiaoping's formula, Hong Kong people will rule Hong Kong with a high degree of autonomy. Under this new formula of Xi Jinping, still one country, two systems, but the Chinese Communist Party will have complete administrative power over Hong Kong. It's exactly the opposite of what was promised. So of course the Hong Kong people will not accept it. We do not accept it. We are holding China to her agreement with Britain. And that agreement had the endorsement of the international community, even though it was only an agreement between two countries. Why was that so? It was because both China and Great Britain worked very hard behind the scenes to lobby for international support before the announcement of their agreement called the Joint Declaration. Both countries were afraid that the talented people of Hong Kong and the rich people of Hong Kong will all leave Hong Kong before 1997, and so would overseas investors. So they wanted international support to give confidence to our people and overseas investors. And the international community did give their support to Deng Xiaoping's one country, two systems. And that encouraged the Hong Kong people to stay on and the emigration tide stopped. Now, come back to more recent times, because China was getting impatient. China found that the Hong Kong people insist that China honor her obligations under the joint declaration. China was not prepared to give us democracy, although it was written into our mini constitution, the basic law, which says, that during the first 10 years of the handover, that is 10 years from the 1st of July, 1997, we would not have genuine democracy yet, but after the 10 years, we could have it, and universal suffrage would be, could be achieved 
10 years after the handover, that is 2007. But now we are 23 years already after the handover, and universal suffrage is nowhere in sight. That is why our chief executive, Carrie Lam, listens to Beijing all the time. Because if she wants a second term, and I'm sure she wants, then she needs Beijing support. Otherwise, she will no longer be holding this post. And the majority of our legislators, likewise, have their majority at the moment because of the very undemocratic rules of election, which ought to have been changed 13 years ago, and they were not. So the Hong Kong people are not happy with the situation. Our young people, particularly, are getting more and more impatient. They want to be masters of their own house, as promised. And so, after the umbrella uh, movement some six years ago, and the more recent anti-extradition bill movement since last year, there have been a lot of public protests involving some degrees of violence. Unfortunately, this is not what not we would have advocated for. We have always tried to get democracy and human rights protection through peaceful means. But Beijing ignored us for all these years. So the young people thought they ought to use some force which turned into some degree of violence, particularly against public property. You see Molotov cocktails being used on the road service, but not on people. That too should not happen. But how can we blame them? Because Beijing just ignored peaceful assemblies. And so finally, Beijing lost its patience and announced very recently, just a couple of days ago, that Beijing will soon pass a law protecting national security. But that law was originally prescribed in our basic law, which is our mini constitution, that it should be enacted by Hong Kong on its own that we, that is our legislature, the Legislative Council, should legislate under that article to protect national security and so on. But Beijing doesn't want to wait anymore. And Beijing now threatens, or actually the National People's Congress will soon be authorizing its standing committee to actually pass a law for Hong Kong to protect the national security of China. But that law is not a national law, which would apply across the whole country, but it will be passed in Beijing, a law which only applies to Hong Kong. Now, under our constitution, that cannot happen. Only the Hong Kong legislature can pass a Hong Kong statute. So Beijing is now reneging on its promises openly. Beijing has now claimed to have this comprehensive complete administrative power over Hong Kong, which is a complete denial of Deng Xiaoping's one country, two systems. That is the problem. So the world will now see that the joint declaration, which they supported and still support one country, two systems, according to Deng Xiaoping, as a result of lobbying from China, are being ignored. They are going to ignore the joint declaration and they are actually ignoring certain provisions of the basic law if they see fit 
they will keep certain articles in the basic law. They will allow Hong Kong people to enjoy certain freedoms if they think fit. Otherwise, they just take it away from us. That is not the rule of law. So, so far in Hong Kong, you see the protesters, whenever they use violence, are being prosecuted by the police, by the government. That is according to law. But when the policemen were seen in public to be attacking the protesters after arrest, when they were not struggling at all, they were still continuing to assault them and duly recorded on videotape and TV cameras. But none of the policemen committing criminal offences while executing their duty was ever charged or brought to the court. That is a denial of the rule of law. Because the rule of law required all people to be treated equally. If on one side they use violence on property, they should be prosecuted. But on the other side, the policemen who assault protesters and therefore commit criminal offences should also be prosecuted. But that is not the case. So now, what is going to happen from here? The whole world is now watching Hong Kong and watching China to break this agreement with Britain at will. Will Beijing be allowed to get away with it? If Beijing can, with impunity, break an international agreement registered with the United Nations at will and without being held accountable to it, Beijing would thereby be encouraged to break more international agreements with other countries. Supposing there is a deal between, uh, between China and America over trade or over whatever, China will certainly honor that agreement so long as it works to its advantage. But if not, China will walk out. And China will walk out from these deals made under the one, one uh, road, one, uh, one uh, sorry, one, one road, one, I'm sorry, I forgot that, <laughs> that expression. Um, um, so China is now going to all these countries, selling their goods, selling their products, helping them to build um, their railways. And uh, but when something goes wrong, China takes the railroads and so on. There's a lot of cost to these governments. So I hope the whole world is watching. I hope the whole world will speak up for Hong Kong because all your governments actually supported and still support the one country, two system, a la Deng Xiaoping, Hong Kong people ruling Hong Kong with a high degree of autonomy. You mustn't let China to walk away from that commitment because it's not fair to the Hong Kong people. We will be thrown into Britain. Many, many more of us will be thrown into Britain and China will rule over Hong Kong with an iron fist. Now, in fact, the way I look at it, China is telling the whole world that it has failed because it was unable to run Hong Kong as promised. And that is a very interesting confession of defeat. The one country, two systems cannot work. And if it cannot work, how could China persuade Taiwan to be reunited in the near future or at all? Because China's offer to Taiwan for reunification is still one country, 
two systems. And so the only way is for China to go back to Deng Xiaoping's blueprint for Hong Kong and honor it to the full, allow Hong Kong people to develop democracy as promised, allow Hong Kong people to be masters of our own house without any interference from Beijing as promised. And that would be good news for everybody, for Hong Kong, for China, and for this region and the world. And the world need not fear China, and China need not fear the world. So I would suggest that this is the only way forward for Hong Kong. This is the only solution which works to everybody's advantage. Back to Deng Xiaoping's one country, two systems. Thank you. Thank you, Martin, uh, for those very insightful uh, comments on this uh, key question of our time. Can we trust China? And I invite you to turn off uh, your to mute your microphone. And I want to invite Dennis Kwok, uh, another brave uh, fighter for freedom in the territory, to join us and give his presenta presentation. Thank you very much for um, organizing this event. Um, I think there can't be a better moment uh, for for this event because. Um, what's happening in Hong Kong is truly heartbreaking, heartbreaking in every way. Um, a lot of my friends uh, in Hong Kong and outside messaged me today saying, what are we to do, um, Dennis? What, what can we do? Um, because the worst nightmare is happening before our eyes. Um, last night, the National People's Congress uh, opened in Beijing and they announced that they will pass a resolution authorizing the National People's Congress Standing Committee to pass a national security law specifically tailored for Hong Kong. And uh, it is expected that uh, this resolution will certainly pass. And uh, in the next two months or so, the National People's Congress Standing Committee will craft a law for Hong Kong uh, addressing the so-called national security threats that they see. And the worst thing about this process is that Hong Kong people has absolutely no say over the uh, process. Uh, and the uh, Legislative Council uh, will be completely bypassed um, in the process. They will simply promulgate it uh, um, under the so-called um, Article 18 Annex 3 provision, which, as Martin would tell you, was originally not designed for this kind of legislation. The national security legislation, in accordance with the basic law, is supposed to be something that the Hong Kong people will legislate themselves in accordance with Article 23 of the uh, legislation. But they are tearing apart uh, uh, the basic law provisions. They are tearing it apart by saying that they could now openly interfere into Hong Kong affairs uh, by criticizing what's happening in Let's Go, criticizing um, uh, a TV news program, uh, or criticizing even a uh, history exam question in the uh, high school um, common entrance exam, uh, because there's a question involving, um, uh, the question was, during 1990 to 19, 
1945, uh, the Japanese invasion uh, of uh, China has more pros than cons. Do you agree? And state your view. You know, that was the question. And there, then there become uh, what we saw a sort of a cultural revolution style uh, uh, investigating, going after the people who set that question because it um, insults uh, and hurts uh, nationalist feelings. And, you know, it, it is it's almost, you know, unthinkable the way that they are turning Hong Kong into a sort of a cultural revolution style um, uh, warfare. Uh, 2.0, um, and came out came of the blue. Out of the blue, um, I think uh, my colleagues in the pro-establishment side, on in um, who are also National People's Delegates, they do not know about this uh, latest move by Beijing, and I bet the Hong Kong government only learned of it uh, last night. Um, and uh, now, of course, uh, Carrie Lam and her whole administration came out to say, hey, this is a great idea. We support Beijing. We support this uh, national security law because it plucked the so-called loopholes in uh, uh, national security threats in Hong Kong. So we know very little about the contents of this bill because it hasn't, uh, well, at least as far as we know, it has not been drafted yet. Um, but we know that it will contain uh, provisions that will um, legislate against uh, subversion, secession, uh, and um, the most troubling part is uh, foreign interference. Uh, they want to outlaw foreign interference in Hong Kong. Now, what is foreign interference? Um, is this seminar, now that we're doing the seminar, uh, now that Martin and I were talking to you in DC, uh, Heritage Foundation will be considered a foreign political organization. And uh, is this kind of dialogue going to be outlaw in the future? I don't know, but I fear it may be. Um, you know, Martin and I, we always speak to our friends in DC, whether it is on Capitol Hill or to our friends at Heritage or to our friends across Europe, in the UK, Canada, Australia, we maintain a very close dialogue. And why? Because people, the international community care about Hong Kong because Hong Kong is an international city. Everyone has a stake in Hong Kong. Uh, speaking of self-interest, America has trillions of assets invested in Hong Kong. 86,000 American companies have business in Hong Kong. Now, are they not entitled to understand more about the situation in Hong Kong? And all the more so when um, people who believe in democracy, freedom, and rule of law should stand together and defend these values. Um, but it seems like they don't like what they're seeing. They don't like um, us having this dialogue. They will call this foreign interference and will try to put us in jail for even having this conversation. And um, I think the most troubling part, as I said, is that the Legislative Council has been completely deprived of uh, the role in legislating and scrutinizing this uh, bill. Um, and the Hong Kong people, um, as you know, uh, they have protested very strongly against the extradition bill last year. But this is a hundred times 
or infinitely worse than the expedition built last year. But no, they haven't learned any lesson uh, from last year, uh, despite the outpouring of public uh, uh, opposition. Um, so what they wanted to see, two or three million people take to the streets in protest. Now, of course, they are using COVID-19 as a cover so that they um, will act. They are acting now that the world is not watching, that everyone they think is so busy dealing with coronavirus, which is true, everyone is still deal dealing with it. And the fallout from COVID-19, the economic fallout, the social fallout, and they think they could use this opportunity to do something that is so outrageous that I would not, um, I would not put it past uh, uh, them to uh, actually even do even more uh, legislating through this kind of promulgation in the future. So they will come up with um, more excuses, more reasons why they have to promulgate more laws through this Annex 3 mechanism, and there's no stopping them. And that is, this is the end of one country, two system. Not only have they failed in their promise to, uh, of democracy to the Hong Kong people, they are now substantially cutting back on our freedom. Now, Martin talked about, hey, you know, one country, two system was supposed to be the model in which to reunite, reunite uh, uh, with uh, Taiwan. But I think that boat has sailed a long time ago. Um, there is no way the Taiwanese people, as uh, President Tsai Ing once said uh, in her inauguration a few days ago, that the Taiwanese people will not buy into one country, two system, looking at what's happened to Hong Kong. And um, uh, I think uh, the hope that this solution will somehow bring about the reunification is, I think, uh, not going to be realized, which is very sad and very unwise of Beijing, because it seems like they don't care about what the world thinks of them anymore. I mean, this business about wolf warrior diplomacy, which I'm sure you've read about, is, uh, I think Hong Kong is part of this overall development um, that we see from coming out of China from uh, wolf warrior diplomacy to how they threaten this, threaten Australia, threaten uh, this country and tell this country to, to uh, praise them in their handling of coronavirus to you know, uh, what they're doing to Hong Kong and uh, uh, the sentiments in Taiwan. Uh, they are all part of this big picture of what is happening uh, to China uh, or more specifically the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and can the world um, live with uh, a regime that uh, simply do not respect the views of others, do not respect basic values like uh, rule of law, democracy, and freedom? And Hong Kong is now at the forefront. Uh, and the world can look at Hong Kong and perhaps learn a few lessons about the true uh, face of um, Chinese Communist Party. So Michael, thank you again for organizing and I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you, uh, Dennis, uh, for that uh, very insightful presentation. 
And again, it bears underlining, this is not about the fate of one city, uh, although that city is a very important city. It's 8 million people friendly to the United States, uh, a, a testament to the success of free markets. But this is fundamentally about, can we trust the People's Republic of China, its government, to keep its promises? Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, Dennis and Martin, that while you were speaking, the U.S. government has, uh, has released a very strong statement, which I'm going to read just three sentences. It starts out, the United States condemns the People's Republic of China's National People's Congress proposal to unilaterally and arbitrarily impose national secu security legislation in Hong Kong. Hong Kong has flourished as a bastion of liberty. The United States strongly urges Beijing to reconsider its disastrous proposal abide by its international obligations and respect Hong Kong's high degree of autonomy. These are just two sentences. And the last sentence says, we stand with the people of Hong Kong. So there you, there you have it. Uh, I ask the two of you, Martin and, and Dennis, to turn on your cameras, join me, keep your microphones muted uh, while I read out the questions, and then turn on your, um, your microphones uh, when you're answering. A lot of the questions have to do with what kind of leverage the United States has. I'm going to read one question that, that is very typical of the questions that have been asked. I'm going to ask you, Dennis, to speak first, reverse the order now, and then Martin. I think you two should uh, respond to this question. The question is, what leverage do you think the United States has in preserving Hong Kong's autonomy? Would not certifying autonomy under the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act persuade Beijing? Are there other measures that could be taken? Dennis, why don't you take that first and then you, Martin? You take that first and then you, Martin. Hong Kong, I believe it is still the most important international financial and business center for China. 70% of foreign direct investment that goes into China goes through Hong Kong. And Hong Kong is one of the most, if not the most, uh, sought after equities market uh, in the world. Um, it, it raised, um, even more uh, funding than uh, for companies than uh, London and New York. Um, so Hong Kong is, uh, uh, I believe, very important. Anyone who tells you that China doesn't need Hong Kong anymore um, is someone I believe don't understand the importance of um, the financial implications of losing Hong Kong as an international financial center. Now, Hong Kong is an international financial center because it has recognition from the international community from the United States. In the Hong Kong Policy Act, um, it guarantees uh, the free convertibility between Hong Kong dollar and the US dollar. Now imagine if that is that foundation is shaken. What will happen to the US Hong Kong dollar pact? What will happen to the Hong Kong dollar? And what will happen to uh, Hong Kong status as an international financial center? Um, there's a reason why the Hong Kong dollar is pegged to the US dollar not packed to the RMB. Why? Because when investors invest money or move money to Hong Kong, they know that they could get it out anytime they want. Because holding Hong Kong dollar means you hold a US dollar asset and there's a guarantee as to the rate of exchange. And that is immensely important for Hong Kong. That's, that is why international companies and banks and financial institutions all have offices in Hong Kong. Now, if 
China is so stupid as in to believe that, okay, they can do away with Hong Kong, they don't need an international financial center, then of course, um, there's nothing which one could do to persuade them to do otherwise. But if there's still some sense left, I think one should look at the importance of Hong Kong to the rest of the economy in China and come to some sort of pragmatic, sensible view about the relationship between uh, Hong Kong and China and the importance of one country, two systems. Thank you, Dennis. Martin, would you like to uh, uh, answer the question on leverage? What kind of leverage the U.S. has? I always say that Hong Kong is the key to China. If you want to understand China, you first understand Hong Kong. If you look at the way China deals with Hong Kong, then you ought to know how you should deal with China. I don't have the wisdom to advise any foreign government what to do with China. But I think at the moment, I'm looking at the Chinese Communist Party, which is spreading its virus to Hong Kong in order to kill our freedoms. So this is a CCP virus. It's going to cause an epidemic in Hong Kong. It's going to kill the freedoms of all of us who stand up to China, who have the courage to tell China, please keep your own promises. This virus will not kill people who kowtow to China. But this virus may spread away from Hong Kong because this is a tendency of the virus to spread and spread and spread. So I'm sure the US government has the wisdom to know how to deal with this virus. Thank you, Martin. I'm gonna, uh, there's a question from you, Chiro Kakutani. It was a follow-up, uh, and what he asks is, um, how do you think such a move will fly with the Hong Kong public? He means uh, ex uh, uh, actually decertifying Hong Kong, I think. Uh, will Hong Kongers appreciate the U.S. pressure exerted on China, or will it alienate them because it, it undermines their livelihood? Martin, when you take a crack at that person, well, I'm, I'm sure people are looking at this uh, newly enacted uh, Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act, uh, which gives the U.S. government power to exercise um, under the, what is called the Magnitsky Tax. You can freeze the assets of certain officials, Chinese officials or Hong Kong officials in the states, or deny um, entry to them and their children. But then if you only use that, and nothing else. What does it do? All right, you punish five officials from Hong Kong and five from China. You make it 500, you make it 5,000, they can always replace them. So I would say it, it, on its own, it's not going to work much. Uh, it's not, not going to exert any pressure on Beijing to return to Deng Xiaoping's blueprint for Hong Kong. It has to be coupled with something. And that's something is what China has already promised to Hong Kong and to the international community. Hong Kong people ruling Hong Kong with a high degree of autonomy. I don't see any other solution, quite frankly. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, just, I just wanna highlight that is a very difficult choice to make. Um, if 
Hong Kong is to lose the uh, status that is recognized under the Hong Kong Policy Act. I cannot imagine uh, what Hong Kong would be like um, going forward. But a lot of people in Hong Kong are very angry and they actually actively call for uh, uh, the United States to cancel the Hong Kong Policy Act so as to punish Hong Kong or, or Hong Kong government or uh, Beijing for acting the way that they, they uh, have acted. And I fully understand such sentiments. Um, and this is almost like a nuclear option uh, which once you use it, um, everyone will get hurt and uh, you, it will be very hard to build Hong Kong back up again. But as I said, this public sentiment is very angry at the moment. And there are a lot of people calling for the cancellation of the Hong Kong policy. Well, thank, uh, thank you, uh, Dennis, for that. And thank you, Martin. I actually have a, a question for Dennis. Uh, that follows up from that, and then another one from Mar from Martin later. The Dennis uh, question for Dennis is: In fact, can you give us a sense of the mood of the people? Uh, are we going to see demonstrations again? Obviously, the pandemic goes into this, uh, but uh, what are you sensing among the people? Among the people. Oh, um, that's a very good question, Mike. Um, next week, um, the national anthem law will be tabled for second reading in the Legislative Council. The National Anthem Law is basically a law that requires people to respect the National Anthem. And if you disrespect or show any signs of disrespect, then you will be sent to jail. It is a, uh, 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 a criminal offense. Now, that law has always been very controversial. And it will be tabled for second reading on Wednesday, next week. We are already seeing signs that people are calling each other to uh, come out uh, in strong protests, not just about the national anthem law. Now we have the national security bill, which is an even bigger, infinitely bigger threat to the Hong Kong people's freedom. And I expect, um, I'm very sad to say that there will be huge, I, I predict there will be huge clashes between the protesters and the police next week. And um, the scenes that we have uh, witnessed before uh, last year is almost like, to me, this is almost like a playback of what happened last year. They try to force something through. They know last year they try to force through the extradition bill, even when two million people came out, even when, you know, there are huge clashes between the police and uh, the protesters. We know what happened after that. Uh, the rest is history. I won't repeat. But it's as if they haven't learned anything. They're doing this all over again. And this time works even. Say, if you can't pass it in Hong Kong, I'll pass it in Beijing and send it down. So see, see what you can do. And that drives people um, even more angry and hopeless and the sense of hopelessness and fear and, you know, uh, and anger is, uh, is the overwhelming feeling right now. Thank you very much. And I have a, a, a question uh, briefly for you, Martin. Uh, we have a lot of questions that are coming up here. So uh, Martin, can you just comment briefly on, on what happened with uh, when you were arrested and how, how you feel about this? Uh, what do you think your prospects are? Why do you think the Communist Party uh, is going after you this time so hard? 
Mark, Martin, turn your uh, about turn the volume on. Turn the... Yeah, I okay. forgot. Uh, when the government turn on the young people, many of them are actually young students in their teens, and arrested them and prosecuted them. I felt pain in my heart because I've been fighting for democracy all these years by peaceful means, and they just ignored us. And when the young people are doing it their way, using some force and even some violence, they get punished. Sometimes seven, uh, seven years, so far the maximum for riot. So I feel that I owe them something because I have not been punished. When they now turn to us, the peaceful marches, that shows that they don't discriminate between demonstration with peaceful means or with some violence. And that gives me an opportunity to be tried and to go to prison with the young people so that we can march together down this road towards democracy. Those with using some violence and those who don't believe in violence. Now, I hope next week there will be no violence because they have suffered enough, these young people. Let us take over. Let us deal with it by peaceful means. We'll be going to prison. We must stand, keep standing on the moral high ground. They are breaking promises. We are not. And if they say, okay, there's no terrorism in Hong Kong, don't give them an excuse, please. And let us, let us take the blame. After all, we've been fighting for democracy all these years. You guys are just new recruits. So let us go to prison. Let more of us go to prison and let less of you young people do so. That is my hope. Thank you, Martin. That's very brave. We have a question from Dylan Clement in Senator Toomey's office. He asks if either one of you have, uh, have had uh, the chance to review the legislation that Senator Toomey and Senator Van Hollen have introduced. Uh, the bill uh, entails mandatory secondary sanctions on banks that CCP officials use. These sanctions would go beyond uh, the Global Magnitsky Act and uh, proposed uh, in Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act. Uh, if, if either one of you has reviewed this and has any views on, on these uh, actions, can you please comment on this? Yeah, Dennis, why don't you go first? Yeah, Dennis, why don't you go first? I, I uh, was briefly shown uh, 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 a link to uh, the bill uh, that you mentioned. I think it's uh, quite new. Um, I, uh, of course, the um, our position has always been um, any uh, legislation that supports freedom, democracy, and the rule of law is uh, beneficial to everyone around the world who believes in the same values. I don't know how fast this, uh, this bill in the Senate will uh, be passed, um, because I understand uh, there are many other legislation uh, in place. But as I said, I think we've been um, calling on uh, uh, many um, of our international partners to look at the human rights situation in Hong Kong, to look at the violations, especially on police brutality. The police brutality uh, has only escalated in the past uh, 12 months or so. And we expect, as I said, that if there are further clashes between protesters and police starting next week, 
uh, we expect the police to drive up their uh, brutality and everyone should be watching. Well, I'm always um, obliged to congressmen and women standing with Hong Kong and using legislative measures to try to help us. But then legislation takes time in democratic countries. And if I were a corrupt Chinese official who's, got, who's banked my money in the US bank or in the Chinese bank operating in the USA, and I know this bill will soon be passed into law, I will withdraw my money from that bank and put it in some other country. So to be effective, I suppose, you just cannot act alone in one country. Uh, but as I said, who am I to advise foreign government what to do? But I think your, your thinking about Hong Kong and your willingness to help and to stand with the people of Hong Kong. Thank you, Martin. I have a question from Anand Krishnan. Um, can you share with us the legal implications of the draft legislation on national security that has been tabled at the MPC and its a, a consistency or lack thereof with the basic law? Uh, could you comment on that, Martin? Could you comment on that, Martin? Well, the basic law makes it quite plain that the only institution in Hong Kong which can enact laws or amend or repeal laws is the Legislative Council of Hong Kong. And the pro-Beijing legislators control the majority. So it doesn't make sense for Beijing to legislate this bill for Hong Kong when they've got enough votes in our Legislative Council to do so. The reason why they don't want to leave it with the Hong Kong legislature is very interesting. They are afraid that the Hong Kong legislature may be controlled by the Democrats after the elections in September, even though the electoral laws are so stacked up against us. They are really undemocratic with a lot of functional constituency seats there, which we can never win. But even then they are afraid. So they want to start a dangerous precedent of allowing Beijing to legislate for Hong Kong so that when they lose control of the legislature, they can still pass laws and apply them to Hong Kong by passing the legislature, which may not be controlled by them anymore. So that is the reason why. But it's against the basic law, no doubt about that. Uh, that you want to comment on that or? Good. Good. Um, because we know very little about the uh, legislation at the moment, but we can uh, rest assured that, um, that Beijing will, will really push hard. Uh, everything they want uh, over the years, they would push into this legislation. So uh, as I said at the beginning, um, conversations of this kind may be a criminal conduct um, once that legislation is passed. Um, I don't know where the limits will be. Thank you. Uh, actually, Thank Michael you, Martin. Uh, actually, can can you mute uh, Michael Martin of the Congressional Research Service, our old friend? He raises Article Four in the in the legislation in the in the bill, uh, and he asks, "Do you think that China will establish security courts in Hong Kong with mainland judges ruling according to the Chinese legal system?" Martin, did you hear that question, Martin? 
Okay, so let me let me read it again from Michael Martin. He says Article Four in the in the law. Do, would it mean that China could establish security courts in Hong Kong with mainland judges ruling according to the Chinese legal system? Can you take that up, Martin? That will clearly be impossible under the present systems in Hong Kong. But what I'm afraid of is this. After they pass this legislation, that they would try to resurrect the extradition bill and if that extradition bill were passed, or if they pass for Hong Kong in Beijing now, using this new president, that then they can get anybody from Hong Kong and have them uh, brought to Beijing for trial to be tried under the new national security law, you see? And then we would be tried according to Chinese law in a Chinese court, and we will be punished in a Chinese jail. And in fact, there is still the death penalty in China. I'm afraid of that, but not to have us tried in the Hong Kong court, but with a mainland judge sitting. That's not possible under the present system yet. Yeah. Go ahead, um, Thank you. Uh, Go ahead, thank, thank, thank you uh, uh, for that question um, from an old friend. Uh, the the point I think he was uh, making is that the um, there's a possibility, as stated in the document from the NPCSC last night, is that they might actually set up a national security commission based in Hong Kong, answerable to the central people's government. And it will be actually PRC agent running that national security commission in accordance with the law. And that is shocking um, because uh, now we know why they say they're not bound by Article 22 of the Basic Law, which says that they cannot interfere into the uh, affairs of the Hong Kong SAR because they are laying the foundation to set up this so-called National Security Commission in Hong Kong. So it is scary. I mean, the, the, the thought of it that um, that I'm sitting at home right now, that some guy speaking Mandarin would be knocking on my door, kicking down my door and say, uh, we need to bring you in for some questioning. I mean, it's like out of movies. Yes, the prospect of that for uh, many of us who have lived in Hong Kong is quite chilling actually, that we could be close to that. I have a question from uh, Russell uh, Xiao. Uh, he asks, he brings up the issue of Taiwan he says, are there any specific measures that Taiwan can undertake to support the people of Hong Kong? Martin, why don't you take that first and then we'll go to Dennis. And I want to say we're at 10.05 right now. So at 10.10, uh, at I will ask you both to make closing statements and then we'll leave. This ends at 10.15. But when you take out the question of uh, Martin briefly and then you, Dennis, what can Taiwan do, if anything? Well, I, I, I know as uh, a fact that some Hong Kong young students have fled to Taiwan, and they are actually living there now. And uh, that is a good thing, so they don't have to worry about their livelihood and so on. Um, but no doubt Taiwan will follow the Hong Kong example or the Hong Kong situation very closely. Uh, it's not even this uh, present president Chai, Chai Ing-wen, but Chen, Chen Shui-bian, when he won the first election, 
the moment he sat down with all the might in front of him, he said, one country, two systems is not for me. So you see the Taiwan people are no fools. They've been watching Hong Kong very closely. They are, I'm sure, doing their best to help Hong Kong people whenever we are in need. And I hope the rest of the world would also uh, take Hong Kong people into account. When Hong Kong people, uh, let's say, let us, when we are convicted, in many countries, they won't let us in anymore because there's a criminal conviction. But when we are convicted of criminal offenses, which is actually against the basic law by a repressive government, I don't see why the young people who have been sent to prison, even long years of imprisonment uh, for riots and so on, should be denied entry to the USA or to the European countries. I know uh, under your law at the moment, the US government will actually allow these people to come in to work or to study. Uh, in other words, not to treat these convictions as convictions for dishonesty and so on, which will debar them from entering your country. So I hope the rest of the world can do that uh, to our prisoners of conscience. Yes, actually, uh, Dennis, if you can address the question of uh, Taiwan, if you could mute that, uh, Steve Raisin, who lived in Hong Kong and, and Taiwan for a long time, is also a long-time China watcher, actually says, "Can you what can the U.S. do to leverage its regional and, and global alliances to pressure China and Hong Kong? So, if, Dennis, if you can address Taiwan and also all of the other U.S. allies, how can the U.S. put pressure or leverage its relationships? Um, on the question of what Taiwan uh, people can do, um, I, I'm sure they know that if Hong Kong falls, Taiwan would be next. Um, so it is in everyone's interest for those in Hong Kong who support freedom, democracy, and rule of law to work with those uh, in Taiwan. Now, one of the interesting things that's come out of Hong Kong is now we have uh, a so-called um, yellow economic circle. Now, it's a, it's a, for those of you who have not heard this term, Basically, in Hong Kong, um, those who support democracy have been visiting shops, cafes, restaurants, who have openly supported uh, the protest. Um, so we we have a we have a, a an app that tells you which which store actually supports uh, democracy. Uh, and so on the weekend, you see young people, especially, they would go line up in front of a cafe or restaurant that supports. I think this economic circle should be extended to Taiwan as well, and there should be a synergy between Taiwan businesses and Hong Kong businesses uh, and those who stand on the same values to actually support each other and to actually um, encourage commerce and uh, economic transactions between and within this economic uh, circle, the yellow economic circle. So this is, I think, one interesting idea I would like to throw out there. Um, on the um, things that um, U.S. has leveraged. I mean, the the the, the leverage are, I think, so um, uh, obvious because um, the U.S. dollar is still the dominant uh, international currency, uh, and uh, banks can only deal with uh, U.S. dollar transaction if ultimately it is uh, sanctioned by uh, the U.S. authorities. And um, I think the United States really need to take a lead in. Uh, fighting for democracy, freedom, and rule of law 
uh, in this world because there are regimes who just simply do not buy into these values and they are actually a threat to everyone. Uh, and I can, as you can see with the COVID-19 situation, uh, we've learned that um, cover-ups and uh, silencing people, silencing the truth have dramatic global consequences for everyone around the world. So we need to learn from these lessons and start thinking together what we can do. And there are so many things that the international community can do. And, but Hong Kong is now at the forefront of this, um, uh, of this confrontation and uh, everyone should continue to support Hong Kong. Well, thank you very much. We're at the uh, five minute mark. I wanted to uh, invite our two speakers to to give a one or two minute uh, closing uh, remarks. You, there's over 100 people online, many people from the US government, many journalists. This will be uh, watched by other people later on. So one minute or two, each of you. Dennis, why don't you start? I'll, I'll start first because Martin always gets the last word. Um, I'll, and I'll be very brief. <laughs> uh, so, I would just want to uh, thank Heritage Foundation again, um, especially Mike and uh, Walter for giving us the opportunity. I really treasure these uh, conversations and dialogues because I don't know how long they could go on for. Um, uh, a year from now, I could be in jail, Martin could be in jail, um, and it's just so bleak uh, to, to, to think about it that way. But um, but the Hong Kong people, they are, um, you know, I'm just, you know, reading uh, messages on my Facebook account and uh, talking to people. The Hong Kong people are not going to give up. They are still very hopeful. They are still very tough. They are strong and um, uh, certainly much stronger than the politicians. Um, and they will not back down. And please continue to watch Hong Kong Thank you. Martin, take, lead us off. Well, as I said, the Chinese Communist Party virus is already, has already spread to Hong Kong and will kill our freedoms. And it's the nature of a virus to spread to another country, another territory, to Taiwan, and then to other parts of this Southeast Asia region, and then maybe to other countries, down the one belt, one road, through all these countries, and so on. So. The world has now experienced the COVID-19 in a way that's more difficult because you don't see it coming. The Chinese Communist Party virus is more visible and I suppose it's easier to control. Like Dennis, I thank you, Heritage Foundation. I thank Mike, we've been old friends. When I last saw you, I think you've got a little bit more hair and my hair was a little much more darker than now. Um, but I thank also all our friends overseas, everywhere in the world, I think, are watching Hong Kong, and uh, some of them are standing with Hong Kong. And I love you all. Thank you. Thank you. This has been a very timely webinar. You're both very brave. Thank you for what you do. God be with you, and God be with the people of Hong Kong. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Goodbye.